So this whole month of April, we are going to be looking at the, the series is entitled, The Trial, the Cross, and the Empty Tomb. Today, the sermon is this, when life isn't fair. I mean, we've all experienced some unfairities of life, have we not? I mean, and, and if, we say, if we were to say that, that uh, life is always fair, we would be lying to ourselves. And maybe, maybe in your life there's been a lot of things that have just easily, easily passed and, and, and you haven't uh, went through any suffering trials. But according to God's own word, we're going to have trouble in this world. You know what I love though is today we're going to be looking at the arrest and trial of Jesus, right? So, and we all know that Jesus was perfect, he was good, he taught what was right, he, he healed the sick, and yet, still arrested, falsely tried in the court, and still hung on a cross. See, life wasn't fair. However, what I love is this, Jesus did not use the unfair circumstances to become an excuse for bad behavior. Come on, right? He didn't use it as permission to quit. Isn't it, a lot of times when something unfair happens, that's when we're like, why well, quit, right? How many times something unfair happened in your life and the first thing that came to your mind was, I quit, I quit. So what I love about it is Jesus set for us the tone. He set for us the expectations, and he showed us what we need to do when, when, not if, when life is unfair. Because here's the, the reality. It's not if life will be unfair for you. It's when life will become unfair. What do we do when? So today I'm hoping that uh, we're, as we, we go through the passages, so um, a couple of things. Jesus taught a lot about the unfairness of life. Uh, in Matthew chapter 5, he says, You've heard it said, an eye for an eye. A tooth for a tooth, but I tell you, right? Do not resist an evil person. Whoever slaps you on one cheek, give the other as well. I don't know how many of us are very good at that. If somebody slapped you on the cheek, you'd probably smack their other cheek. Let me give you my version of how this goes, right? Um, in fact, I, I, and I don't, this will be the first time that I've ever quoted the message Bible. <laughs> and it's not a Rice Krispies recipe, but um, how it says, Matthew 5, 4, 1 says this, if someone takes unfair advantage of you, use the occasion to practice a servant life. I just really liked how that talked about when what Jesus is teaching is he's saying, listen, when life is un unfair, serve anyways. Give anyways. John 16, 33 says, Jesus answered them. So Jesus is telling his disciples that he's about to go. He's, his time here on earth is about to be over. He's speaking very clearly to them at this moment. And, uh, and this is what, the, and, he, and he answered, do you now, so the, the disciples in the verse right before this, the disciples said, well, now we believe because, and so Jesus is like, you believe now. And, and what was happening is that he began to speak very clearly to them. I'm about to go. My time is up. I'm getting ready to leave. Oh, well, you're speaking clearly to us, not in parables. So now we believe. 
after they saw him raise, raise Lazarus from the dead, when they've seen him heal the sick, cause the blind to see, after all these things that they had seen, now they believe. And even Jesus says, do you believe now? You know, like now? It takes now that I'm speaking clearly to you? It took it for now for you to? And so, so he says, indeed, the hour is coming, yes, has now come that you will be scattered. He's telling them exactly what's going to happen. You will be scattered, each to his own, and you will leave me alone. And look, look at this. This doesn't even have anything to do with this sermon, but this is for somebody. And yet I am not alone. You see, when everyone left Jesus, he still wasn't alone. If everyone in your life leaves you, you're still not alone. Amen? He says, I'm not alone because the Father is with me. When you feel alone, when life feels unfair and everybody leaves you, you're still not left. You're still not left. So he says, these things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. Um, the, this is the New King James Version. The NIV says, in this world you will have trouble, tribulation, right? Trouble, tribulation. You're going to have temptation. You're going to have all kinds of storms and circumstances of life. That is what this world is. In this world you will have some trouble. In this world, you're going to have tribulation. In this world, you're going to be treated unfairly. In this world, it's going to be tough. Jesus never promised, get saved and it'll get easy. In fact, Jesus teaches the opposite. You get saved, if the world hated me, it's going to hate you. When you get saved, the battle starts. So, be of good cheer though. So he says, hey, you're going to have a lot of trouble going forward. But be of good cheer. Cheer up. I have overcome the world. Woo. The reality is this. Reality, in this world you will have trouble, but Jesus, Jesus has overcome the world. I'm going to do a little bit, I'm going to do um, a couple of things a little bit different today. Um, usually I stick, stick in one text. Today I'm going to be sharing the, the story of Jesus being arrested using multiple gospel accounts, and I'm doing it on purpose. So um, I read, a, read an article this last week that was talking about the Bible, and uh, I'm trying really hard not to call it a book anymore, because to say this is a book, and even though this is a good book, it's not fair to the Bible to compare this to this. Think about it, right? Is it? Is it fair to even put them next to each other? Because this, there is nothing, there's nothing in the world like this. I want, so, so as I heard them explaining this, they said, you know, it's really, we need to look at it, especially from an atheist perspective, don't call it a book because it's not. It's a collection of writings. It's a collection of testimony. It's a collection of eyewitnesses to who God is and what he has done. That's what it is. Forty different authors, all inspired by the same God, all have the same view and perspective of who God is. Forty different men over 1,500 years agreeing on the same thing. Husbands and wives can't even do that in the same house. <laughs> right? Come on. I mean, think about it. Is that not remarkable? Some of them were kings, some of them were peasants, some of them were free, some of them were slaves, some lived victorious lives, some lived in unfair circumstances, and yet they all agreed on God and who he was, that God is good, 
even when their life didn't feel so good. Isn't it amazing? So I started looking at that. There's nothing else like this. So I wanted to share the continuity of four different gospel accounts, four different people. And actually the four gospels, there's only two of them that were actually disciples of Christ. One was actually a Greek doctor. One was younger. It's believed that when, they was, when Jesus was arrested, there was one that ran away naked. They believe that was Mark. They grabbed his cloak is what happened, and he took off and didn't say, can I have it back? He wasn't like, hey, we're going streaking. No, it was running. He was, he was streaking, but he was, he was running. So, um, so today, guys, I, I want to show us this. I want you to see it. And also, I've used different, um, different translations. The New King James is in here. The NIV I use. The ESV, I've already quoted the message. Um, the reason why I'm also doing that is that, I, you know, I, I grew up where I've seen a lot of people, you know, King James only people attack the, the NIV people. And I remember having a pastor once show up. I was 21 years old in second church. I'd, I was in the second church I'd ever pastored, still learning a lot. And I remember having a pastor come over here and basically tell me that I was Satan himself because I read from an NIV Bible. And I uh, went back to class because I was confused. You know, I, I didn't go to cemetery. I mean, seminary. And, uh, and so I went back. Um, I was going to cemetery at the time. And I went to my professor and I said, hey, uh, so is this like heresy here? And he laughed and he says, you know, what's really sad is that people think that because it was written first that it's automatically the right one. He said, the problem is, is this, is he says they, they're all transliterated from the ancient text. So if we want to say that that's heresy, all the English Bibles are heresy, and you have to go back and learn Aramaic, Hebrew, and Greek. And so if you can't do those three, then you're just going to have to live with what you're given, and we should all get along. And I'm like, thank you, sir. So moving right along. And so um, even, even though I've always teased about the Message Bible, the Message Bible was never planned and created for the purpose of preaching. It was to help people who struggled verse by verse and they needed concepts. And it was written like a, like a book to help people understand a flowing story. So it was written differently. It wasn't meant to be preached from. So just throwing that out there. There's another one that's called, I think, The Voice um, that's actually written like a play. So all the theatrical people really like that one. I'm just saying, I was like, that's really cool. So to me, I'm not one of those, this only, I like, I like to look at them all. I, like, I just love reading about Jesus. Any amens on that one? All right, so now, and, and if you're our King James only, we are going to still be friends. My favorite translation is the New King James and the NIV. Those are my favorites. I don't speak with the these and the thou, so I kind of like to when, when it's normal for me. So, but what we're going to do is we're going to set the stage here. And as we set the stage, it's going to pick up and it's going to start in the garden. So at this point, Jesus has already had his last supper with his disciples. He already told them that one of them was going to betray. He even said, it's you, Judas, go do what you're going to do. So he gave Judas permission to go out ahead of him. So now we find ourselves, we're going to use the, 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 the first account is Matthew 26 in the NIV. And um, this is... Jesus in the garden. So he is, he's finished his supper. He is now in the garden, and he already knows. I need you to understand, as we look at this setting, he already knows what's going to happen. He already knows that he's going to be arrested. That's already, he knows what's coming. But I, wanna, I want you to see how he prays. He, Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and 
pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Why was he sorrowful and troubled? Because he knew what was coming next. He knew that he was going to be falsely accused. He knew that he was going to be betrayed by one of his own. He knew what was happening. He knew what was coming. So he was troubled and sorrowful. Then he said, my soul is overwhelmed. Have you ever been overwhelmed? Right? How many of you have been overwhelmed? You've been overwhelmed. And he says, I am overwhelmed. My soul. He's not just saying, man, my mind is overwhelmed. He's saying, my soul. Your soul is your very essence of who you are. He's saying the very essence of who I am. This is Jesus. Jesus is saying this. Jesus is saying, I'm overwhelmed. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Can you imagine that kind of overwhelmment? And some of you have may felt so overwhelmed that you felt like you just wished to die. Right? There's been times in my life that when Malachi was sick, I was overwhelmed and I just, there's a lot of times that I know that my wife and I asked, just asked God to take us. Just please take us instead. I don't want to feel broken anymore. Jesus knew what it was like to be overwhelmed. He was overwhelmed to the point of death. And he says, stay here, keep watch with me. Now then Jesus says he went a little farther, going a little farther. He fell with his face to the ground and prayed. Wow. He fell to, the, to his face to the ground and he prayed. He says, my father... If it is possible, may this cup... So he's talking. He's making his request to his father. He's saying, Father, if it is possible... You know, he knows that God can do anything, but he also knows that God has an ultimate plan taking place. If it is possible, take this cup from me. Yet, not as I will, but as you will. He returned and he found his disciples sleeping. <laughs> Couldn't you men keep watch with me one hour? He asked Peter, watch and pray so that you will not fall into... Peter, <laughs> pray that you don't fall into some temptation. You know what's about to happen. Peter's about to deny Christ. Doesn't even know it's about to happen. The spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. Listen to this though. I love this. He went away a second time. Now look at, look at this. He went away a second time and prayed, my father, if it's not... Did you catch that? The first time he says, Father, if it is possible. Now he's saying, he already knows the answer. Right? I, I mean, how many times do we just run over these verses because we know how the story ends and we miss one word, not. How many times have you missed that word, not? If it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. The third day that Malachi was diagnosed, I spent a lot of time in prayer and I asked the Lord what he was doing. I needed to know. And it was on the third day of Malachi's diagnosis that the Lord very clearly showed me that I was preaching his funeral at the Warsaw High School. Third day. Third day. I knew the answer. Didn't mean that we didn't fight, pray, try everything. 
Didn't mean we gave up. We tried everything. Maybe he'll change his mind. But God had a plan in that. He had a plan. His will was different than what I wanted it to be. So Jesus said, if it's not possible for this cup, I, just, I think that that's something that we overlook so often. We know the answer that God has already given us, but then we decide we don't want to drink from it. I only want to drink from your cup if it's good. I only want to drink if it's fair. I only, and, and, and who decides fair? Who decides? So if I'm only willing to drink when it's, when it's okay with me, then me and the Father aren't on the same page. He came back again, found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy, so he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time saying the same thing. Somebody had once asked, is it okay that we pray the same things? Clearly, Jesus did. Sometimes we don't know what else to pray. He returned to his disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come. You're going to see this word hour, and you're going to see the word cup again in a different, in a different account. Just, just keep that in mind. And resting, look, the hour has come. The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us up. Let us go. Here comes my betrayer. First principle that I want you to see from this is when life isn't fair, pray. It's super simple, right? But what do we do? When life gets tough, the last thing we want to do is go get into a quiet place and talk to God. What we want is to build our forces up. Let's tell everybody about how unfair my life is. Get a whole posse to agree with me. What did Jesus do? When life became unfair, he went to his father. Guys, the first thing you do when life isn't fair, go to the father. That's the first. First things first. So now we're going to look at John 18. John 18 is the arrest. We're going to, so we see Jesus in the garden. We see he's praying before this arrest. He, he, we left off that um, right, we left off in, in, the, in the account of Matthew where he was in the garden, the betrayer was coming. So, John 18, let me go ahead and get us started here. So, John 18, when the disciples, when Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with the disciples over the brook Kidron where there was a garden, okay, which he and his disciples entered. And Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place. For Jesus often met there with his disciples. Then Judas, having received a detachment of officers... From the chief priests of the Pharisees came there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. This is kind of interesting. So the setting is, Judas shows up, he has soldiers with him. He has officers representing the priests and the Pharisees. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him, went forward and said, I love this, whom are you seeking? See, here's the amazing thing. If Jesus hadn't spent time with the Father, would he have the courage to step forward? Right? If we don't pray first, what would you have done? I would have ran. I would have been like Mark. Close or not, I'm out of here. I mean, think about it, right? But after he spent time with the Father, after he understood what his Father was doing, listen to this. So 
I love this. Jesus of Na- he's, he, he came forward. He goes, whom are you seeking? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said, I am he. And Judas, who betrayed him, also stood with them. Now when he said, listen to this, when he said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Come on now. Picture this. A detachment of soldiers are here to arrest Jesus. They're on. They have the authority to arrest him. They know who they're arresting. They know why. They know what's going on. The soldiers are following Judas. Judas comes up. He's, he's, uh, Jesus says, who do you look for? They all say, well, Jesus of Nazareth. The moment he says, I am he, what do they do? They step back and fell to the ground. I could have pictured Jesus in that moment like, arrest me now. I mean, think about this. What did you say earlier? Every knee will bow. Woo, come on, right? Every knee will bow. Even when they showed up to arrest him, every knee bowed. I am he. Can you imagine that? If you were the disciples around this, just like they're terrified what's happening, right? They're about to, they're about to run off. But in this moment, they're, they're seeing something powerful. I am he, and everybody that's not, a, that's not for Jesus, that's against him, is falling to their face. What do you think Judgment Day is going to be like? Mm-hmm. Man, I look at that, I'm like, whoa. And one of my brothers that's here with me today was actually the one that sent me this verse this week, said, hey, check this out. I, I read and read, and sometimes my eyes move faster than my mind is, I never saw that before. Jesus is there in that moment, and he's saying, I'm I'm the guy you're looking for, and they, because he says, I am. Remember that Jesus said, Jesus identified himself as I am that I am? It's one of the most powerful names that God gave himself. I am that I am. So here's what I want you to see next. When life isn't fair, remember who's with you, the great I am. When life isn't fair for you, you remember who's in the room with you. Come on, right? That should change like, oh, it's getting better, guys. We're just getting started. Okay, so the next, the next part of this same passage, then he asked them again, Whom are, who are you looking for? You know, And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I have told you. See, they're still on their faces, guys. They're still on their faces. And he says, whom are you looking for? And they're like, Jesus of Nazareth. Uh, I already told you, that's me. I am he. Can you imagine this, right? And so, therefore, if you seek me, let these go. He's talking about his disciples. Let them go. That the saying might be fulfilled which he spoke. Of those whom you gave me, I have lost none. Right? Now listen to this. Simon Peter, having a sword, he drew it, struck the high priest's servant's ear, cut, it, cut off his ear. The servant's name was Malchus. The, so Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into the sheaf. Look at this. This is what Jesus said. Shall I not drink the cup which my father has given me? Come on, listen. Get this. If you don't get anything else, get this. 
The disciples don't want Jesus to be arrested. They don't want him to be put on the cross. They don't want him to die. They don't want what's about to happen. Hey, we have a good thing going. We don't want it to change. However you spin this, they are not okay with the direction it's going. And here he says, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup which my father has given me? That right there is a life changer. That right there, if there is no other verse that you catch on to, that should be a life changer in every one of our lives. Shall I not drink the cup my Father has given me? When life isn't fair, drink the cup the Father gives you. Jesus didn't fight suffering He drank it. He didn't fight it. He drank it. It is through the times of suffering in our life that shows the entire world that what we believe is real. When when you suffer, when tribulation comes, when your trials come, These are the moments that you're able to drink the cup given to you to show everyone who lives around you, who lives in your house, that you really believe what you say you believe. Suffering is the proof. It's the proof that you're not just walking through saying, yeah, I believe as long as it's easy. I believe as long as it's easy. So we move on to the arrest of Christ. Now we're going to look at the the account of Luke. I'm using the um, ESV. All right, come on now. All right. There was only one. Woohoo. So, (laughs) woohoo. While he was still speaking, there came a crowd. A man called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He drew near to Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus said to them, Judas, would you portray the man, the Son of Man with a kiss? What a lot of people don't realize is that, a, that, that in the first century, when you would kiss your, your brother on, on the cheek, it was a sign of the greatest affection of friendship. You think handshake is, 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 is powerful, The Bible actually says in the book of Timothy that greet each other with a holy kiss. Not on the lips, but when you kiss somebody, you grabbed them, and it was a sign that I adore you. You are my friend. I will give you a sign of affection that everyone here knows that you are my friend. And he says, would you betray me with a kiss? Now, if any of you guys are back into like... uh, 70s and 80s rock. Is there anybody that's into 70s, 80s rock? Okay, there's a really cool song by Petra. Come on, right? Judas Kiss. I'm telling you, Judas Kiss. Petra was the first, like, I was, I was never, I was a country boy wearing boots and shorts, so I mean, like, I was never like a, like a, a rocker, but that group, Petra, is pretty cool. Um, Judas Kiss is an amazing song. Uh, if you like that old, like, that kind of rock stuff, you'll like that. Judas Kiss by Petra. Just throwing it out there for you. You're welcome. Later on, you're welcome. <laughs> so, and then listen to This Means War. That's my favorite. <laughs> so, so, all right. So, 
He says, would you betray me with a kiss? And when those around him saw uh, what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck a servant of the high priest, cut off his ear. Jesus said, no more of this. He touched the ear, it was healed. Then Jesus said to the chief priests and the officers, I love this, of the temple and the elders and who had come out against him. Have you come out against a, a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not. He said, I was there. I was there. You could have arrested me any time. But look, but this is your hour. Hold on. You hear, you, this is your hour. And the power of darkness. I read that, and I read that, and I read that, and I read that. Jesus is now saying, you know what? Your enemy will have an hour. Darkness will have an hour. I hope you hear me. See, there's times in our lives when we feel like the enemy seems to have won. Can I say the word seems again? Seems, right? Come on, sister, right? Seems. It looks like it. By, every, by the look of everything, the disciples are standing there. They can't believe. Are we supposed to fight? What are we doing? What's happening? And Jesus is just standing here. He's supposed to tell us what to do. He's supposed to do like a, like a fireball and then you know, send everybody where they're supposed You know, like, what's happening? Like, there's so much confusion in this moment. And he says, this is their hour. He's talking to his enemies. This is your hour. I'll give you an hour. This is the power of darkness. I want you to understand that darkness does have power. Not all power. Not all power, but it has power. If we were to say that the devil doesn't have any power, we would be lying to ourselves. Your enemy has power, just not all power. But understand this, that there is going to come times in your life when you feel like everything around you is, is swallowing you. You're going to feel like you're losing have you ever felt like you were losing? Yeah, that's so good. It's only a shadow. When life isn't fair, remember who wins in the end. When you're standing in what would seem like defeat, remember who wins in the end. Sure, you can have your hour. Right? I'll drink my cup in that hour, but it's only an hour. You're only getting an hour today. See, he didn't say that they won. He just says, this is your hour and the power of darkness. Mm. So now we get into the trial of Christ. Now, I'm not going to read all of the accounts of this because uh, they're quite lengthy. But I am going to, get, going to let you know how unfair the trials of Jesus was. And I'm going to share this from the International Standard Bible Encyclopedia, Volumes 1 through 5. So, buckle up. <laughs> Sounds terrible. When I, said that, when I said that out loud, I'm like, ooh, who really? Does anybody want to read the International Standard Bible of Encyclopedia, Volumes 1 through 5, right? <laughs> Nick's like, I'm in. I'm in. Everybody else is like, oh, how much time do we really have in this service? That's why I come to the first service because there's a time limit. Um, so, no, actually, I'm just reading a summary from it. But I am going to read the summary because I think it explains it the best. To sum the trial up, the Jewish trial of our Lord was absolutely illegal. The court which condemned him was without jurisdiction. 
You see, the Jews, because they were conquered by the Romans, had no jurisdiction for capital punishment. They had no right by law to kill anybody. Only the Romans could. But they were seeking out death from the beginning. If you remember, before, while he was at the feast to begin with, they all left, departed to seek a way that they might kill Jesus. So there's one. Blasphemy was only under the Jewish law. So the Romans did not accept blasphemy as breaking or capital punishment, and blasphemy was the only thing they had on Jesus because Jesus claimed to be the Son of God, which to the Jew, that was blasphemy. As the judges then, so even if there had been jurisdiction, there wasn't, it would have been irregular because the judges were rendered incompetent. Do you know why they were incompetent? Because a judge is not supposed to be partial. They're supposed to be impartial. The judge is also supposed to do everything to preserve and to protect the accused. Right? You're supposed to protect them in case they're innocent. So, the law, judges were supposed to be unprejudiced and impartial. But all the judges were the priests. The priests themselves who wanted Jesus dead were the ones sitting in the judgment seat. Interesting, right? Even the letter of the law was violated in a number of important aspects. First, the judges taking part in directing the arrest. The judge is only supposed to be sitting in the courtroom. They have nothing to do with the arrest or gathering information. They are only a judge. Think about it. Is that not the same in ours, right? The judge is the judge. There's a prosecutor, a defense attorney, but the judge is the judge. But the judge, because it was the priest, sent out servants of the high priest to go arrest Jesus. Remember all the information we just had. Number two, the examination was at nighttime, and it was before the trial to attempt. They were trying to trap, they were entrapment. They were trying to entrap Jesus in something he would say before the trial was officially able to go. Three, endeavors to judge the proc and procure testimony by false witnesses. They sought out false witnesses. But the false witnesses were so false and not lining up that they couldn't use them going to the Roman. When they went to the Roman, they never used any of the false witnesses. Number four, commencing and continuing the trial at night. It is against their own law to have trials at night, and yet they did because they were trying to rush this through before people would know that Jesus was arrested. Number five, examining and, and um, adjuring the accused in order to extort admissions from him. So they were, they were examining him and, and, and trying to get him to say things so that they could get him to pronounce himself guilty is what they were trying to do. When, you know, in the court of law, you have the right to remain silent. They were trying to get him not to be silent. Uh, number seven, holding the morning session on a feast day. It was against their own laws to do trials on feasts and yet they were doing it and there's a reason why they had to do that because Jesus is the perfect Passover lamb and he was going to have to die at the past time of Passover and therefore it was going to have to be the law was going to have to be broken so the people who were supposed to be keeping the law were the ones breaking the law to fulfill Old Testament scripture isn't that awesome isn't that crazy crazy right so uh number eight um Rendering both verdicts without any legal evidence. They had no evidence at the end of the day. None of the false witnesses, nobody had any form of that. To make matters worse, Jesus was then taken to the Romans with a death sentence. Now listen to this. Now, 
Pilate, therefore, asked Jesus, are you a king? So he's now being questioned by the Romans. Because the Jews realized, we can't kill him. <laughs> we can't kill him, so we're going to have to do something different. Are you a king? Jesus answered, you say rightly that I am a king. For this cause, I was born. Jesus was born to be a king. Come on now. For this reason, I was born. For this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again. Didn't, didn't ask for the answer, right? He went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no what? I find no fault. Jesus is now acquitted. Pilate came out. There's no cause. He's innocent. That's, it's over. But then it's not. See, the mob continued to bring more accusations and more accusations. In the middle of a court, you can't bring new accusations, right? So now they're, they're, they didn't get what they wanted, so now mistrial. But we want the mistrial right now. We want it right now, right? So looking for a way out, he saw his escape. Pilate then sent him over to, to Herod. Herod made a big spectacle, but he knew that he couldn't kill him either. Sent him back to Pilate. Pilate then resumed as on the judgment seat, which he was already acquitted him. But now he says, okay, here's another way I can maybe get out of this. He brings Barabbas um, and Jesus, and he says, Barabbas is a bad dude. You guys hate him. Um, I'm going to only let one of these guys go. They said, let Barabbas go. And he's like, well, that didn't work. So then his fourth try, his fourth effort to get this taken care of, he acquitted him. He sent him to Herod. He tried to free him instead of Barabbas. But now he's like, you know what? I'm going to punish him severely. Had him scourged, beaten, a crown of thrones, and he presented the bloodied Jesus before the crowd. One last effort to try to get them. And all they did then when they saw the bloody Jesus crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. You see, when life isn't fair, stand strong in the truth. Jesus stood there in truth. He says, I have come for this reason that I might speak truth. When everything else is falling apart, when the mob is crying, crucify him. When everybody is wanting to finish you, to throw you away, to cast you away, to, to trip you up, stand strong in truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now, Pilate the last thing, he sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, If you let this man go, you are not Caesar's friend. Whoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. They don't even like Caesar. They don't like the Romans. And yet they're using this to try to get what they want. So let me give you some basic principles. I'm going to go right back through these principles and just give you some some things that you can work on at home this is going to be complete application here so here's the first one we said when life isn't fair pray through until you break through right I've said that a lot over the uh, over the last years pray through until you break through and I like to to use the word push an acrostic that says pray until something happens when life is unfair the first thing is pray 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 let your words be few make your requests known and then leave it to God. 
If he says no, it's no. If he says this isn't my will, it's not his will. Secondly, when life isn't fair, remember who is with you, the great I am. Knowing who God is is a powerful weapon because knowing who God is gives you courage. Jesus said about himself, he says, I am that I am. He says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door to the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. These are things that Jesus said about himself. We also know that God is all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's omnipresent, which means he's everywhere all at the same time. And God is sovereign. He's in control all the time. There's never a moment in a day when God isn't sovereign. He's in control. He's in control. I told my son the first thing when my, my son says, I don't understand why did this happen. And I didn't know what else to say, but why not? But I said, I do know one thing. That God wasn't surprised. I'm surprised. We were shocked, devastated, but God wasn't surprised. He knew this all along. When life isn't fair, drink the cup the Father gives you. Suffering, pain, grief, trial, it's all a part of life. We experience it. We all experience it. So when it comes, drink it. Just drink it. I want three things I want to do in my life. I want to live well, I want to suffer well, and I want to die well. So that when I can stand before God, He can say, well done. Think about it. Live well. When things are going great, you're continuing to live well for the Lord. Suffer well and die well. If we can do those three things, we will accomplish something in our life. I like how the disciples actually thanked God for being counted worthy of suffering. They were enthroned in jail, beaten, and they're singing hymns and praise songs, praising God that they were counted worthy to suffer for Him. Is that ever our heart? Is that ever our attitude? God, thank you for choosing me to suffer for you. See, why don't we do that? The disciples did. James said, consider it pure joy when you face trials. Peter tells us to rejoice in our suffering because it proves that you have genuine faith. Isn't that interesting, right? So when life is unfair, remember who wins in the end. Possessing the knowledge that you will win <laughs> helps you endure, endure the painful trials, leads up to the ultimate victory. Jesus said, you will have trouble in this world, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Don't give up. And the last one. When life is not fair, stand strong in the truth. It's one thing to know who God is, but knowing your identity in Christ is also a powerful weapon. Just in the book of Ephesians, we begin to learn a lot about who we are. So if you would bow your heads, I want to tell you who you are, but I want your heads bowed. I want your eyes closed. I want you completely focused on the Lord at this moment. See, a lot of times we know who God is, but we allow ourselves to walk in absolute defeat. Jesus didn't walk in defeat. He never 
walked in defeat. He says, this is your hour, the power of darkness. But he was still the victor. He held his head high. Under false accusements, he did not get angry. He didn't lose his temper. He could have called fire down from heaven to destroy everything, but he didn't. He drank the cup the Father had given him. He suffered well through it. But here's the thing. As unfair life will find you, in those moments remember who you are. You're chosen. You are chosen. So I want you to repeat after me. I am chosen. He goes as far as he says you're predestined. And then predestined is just a a big, long, fancy word that says that God had a destiny for your life before your life began. I am destined. Say that. God has a destiny for your life. He has a purpose for your life. Jesus calls us friends, so say, I am a friend of God. He says there that we were upon salvation, we were adopted into his family, so I am a child of God. Say it. Upon salvation, you were forgiven. I am forgiven. If no one else forgives you, God has. I don't need everyone's forgiveness. I need His forgiveness. He redeemed us with His blood. It means He bought us out of slavery. I am redeemed. That's who you are. That's who you are. He calls us light of the world, even though he's the light of the world. He calls us the salt of the earth. There's a lot more to you with Christ than you give yourself. So when unfair life comes, remember who you are. Remember your identity. Don't lose your identity in Christ. When the storm comes, the storm will come. The storm will come. But don't you dare forget who you are. You're a child of the King. You're a friend of God. You've been forgiven. You've been redeemed. You've been claimed by the blood of the Lamb. Don't you forget that. So right now, If life's been treating you unfair and you feel like you need to come to the altar, maybe this is that moment of saying, I need to stop what I'm doing. I know that life's been unfair to me and I need to pray. Right now, I need to start by praying. That's the first step. If life, if you think life's unfair, it is. It is. It is unfair. Start with prayer. Start right now. Don't wait. Start now. Maybe you need to be reminded of who's with you in this battle right now. Maybe you need to call on the name of the great I Am. 
Maybe this is the moment right now that you need to, 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 to remember that there is victory after what looks like defeat. The defeat is not going to last. The hour is not going to last. It's only an hour. It's only but a time. The suffering is only going to last but a time. Maybe today you need to remember who He is. Maybe in your life you've been listening to what the devil says about God and you've maybe started letting the world water down your view of who God is. Your God is the great I Am. The name at every knee will bow and every tongue will confess the great I Am is the one 